0: I'm so excited for the guest that I have on today, Steph Riggs. She is an incredible certified relationship coach and she also teaches on attachment. She has her own podcast on attachment and I have learned so much in this podcast episode I love how simply Steph explains attachment theory honestly like the most simple profound explanation I've ever heard so there's a reason she's such an expert on this topic we go into her own story in relationships her pregnancy and so much more it was such a such an enlightening conversation so have a listen and enjoy it Welcome to Deep Within. On this show, we dive deep into the nervous system, emotional healing, and transformation from within the body. When I started my personal development journey, it was all in the mind, doing affirmations, visualizations, listening to endless motivational videos. And I found that this approach without actually getting my body on board only left me in deeper shame and distress. So this is actually how I discovered somatic body-based healing. My name is Marina Yanai Triner and I am the compassionate somatic coach. I'm gentle, sensitive, and I love deep conversations. I'm so, so, so excited and so glad you're here so we can feel like we're together in our own little bubble of deep talks. Steph, I'm so, so happy you're here. And a second ago, before I hit record, (laughs) we were talking about something and I really wanted to talk about it actually, which is polarization and all the wars happening and how people are just sitting on two different polarities. And as you do this kind of work, then you can kind of really consider both ends. And I'm going to bring this into relationships in a second, but can you share more about that?
1: Hmm. yeah well hi uh, hi. thanks for having me I'm glad to be here as well uh yeah I mean as we were just chatting about before we went live it's such a crazy time in the world at the moment and it's been quite eye-opening for me to observe particularly on social media but also in you know news media everyone's the kind of collective attachment to finding who's wrong and who's bad and whose fault it is, as a default position. And I don't know, as I was saying to you, I don't know whether it's having done a lot of this work um, and really focusing on starting from curiosity rather than starting from blame, but it's kind of wild. And I think it's, it's really intimidating to even think about entering the conversation around any of it when you have a view that seeks to understand what could be driving behavior on on both sides or on all sides of the spectrum Um, so i really you know take my hat off to you and being so courageous to voice you know that nuance that a lot of people are not interested in hearing um, and inviting people towards more just curiosity and consideration of like yeah it's easy to just decide that you know, one person is bad or one side is bad or, you know, to really project that very black and white view uh, or to say, well, you know, you can't talk about this pain because this pain's bigger, um, which I think so many people do. It's everywhere at the moment. It's just I can't believe you're talking about that because you're not talking about this. And it's like playing competition with like whose pain is bigger. And it's like, does anyone feel better for having done that? I don't know because I think it's just people jumping up and down um, wanting to be seen right and wanting their pain to be recognized and I think when we're so committed to like opposition and in order for my pain to be valid and real you have to be the bad guy Um, like if we're going to hold on to that kind of worldview then no one gets their pain seen and everyone feels like they're being blamed and that just keeps us really stuck and you know we're talking about conflict at the moment in a geopolitical sense but it's absolutely true of relationships as well it's you know what I see all the time and what I'm always trying to teach people is like it doesn't have to be either or there can be space for both experiences to be very real yeah. um, and the more that we can open ourselves to that truth it's not even like that possibility it's just true everyone's in pain here um, and I think we need to Create more space for all of that to coexist rather than fighting over whose experience is more valid.
0: Absolutely. And I, the reason I wanted to record this is as this conflict is going on, and I'm taking that position, right, to look at both sides, I've been reflecting so much about my relationship and how much more challenging it is to do it there. And how, when we are coming from the lens of trauma, it's really polarizing. It's like us mm-hmm. versus them and if you know if i'm good then they're bad. Like that's how it works. And so, let's bring this back to relationships because that is your field and this is what this conversation is about, but i'm yeah. really glad to open with this because i've truly been sitting with that. Yeah. How do you see this playing out in relationships whether it's in conflict or in other ways? And especially like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I've seen it in needs, like when two people have opposite needs, then we really tend to say, well, your need is bad and my need is good. (laughs) Like my partner and I had a conversation who you met. Mm -hmm. We had a conversation recently where I was like, dude, just because you wanna leave on time everywhere all the time and I want more flexibility with time, doesn't mean that like, I'm bad here, you know, it's okay that we just have two different approaches to life and maybe we can find a way to accommodate both, maybe not, but they're both okay. Like there's nothing wrong with either one. It's just two preferences. And we really tend to be like, your your need is so bad. Like what I need is the good one. Yeah.
1: Totally. I think it's, it comes up, in so many places in relationships. Like I see, I focus a lot on attachment in my work and I see a lot of people trying to figure out like, okay, if, if I have anxious attachment patterns in my relationship and my partner's more avoidant, like which one of us is the problem basically? Um, and you know, that can exist outside of an attachment lens. It's just like, am I the problem or are they the problem? Who needs to change? Um, because we're stuck in this place and clearly one of us is the problem. So which one is it? and wanting these really uh, kind of neat answers to inherently messy, you know, non-dualistic problems of being in relationship with two people with their whole own sets of everything, right? Thoughts, feel feelings, fears, needs. Uh, and I think, as you say, like when we're coming from a place of fear or trauma, we tend to get very tunnel visioned and it's like, it's either or, and it's gotta be it's got to be a clear villain and victim story. And because I'm feeling like the victim, that makes you the villain. Um, and I really need that to be true in order for me to feel like my pain is real. Uh, and so I need to convince both me and you and anyone else who cares that that's the way of things. Um, because the alternative is that, you know, my fears, my insecurities, my pain are, you know, unjustified or invalid. And then I don't know what to do with that. Um, So I think we get really trapped in that. And it's just, I I don't know where it takes us other than, as I said, you know, we get really entrenched and stuck in the opposition and self-protection. Because if I feel like, you know, to use the needs example, if I fear that to accommodate your needs or to take into account your needs means necessarily that mine, you know, get sidelined, that if I honor your need for space, then my need for connection will never be met. Then of course that feels threatening to me. If I feel like there have to be a trade-off at all times. Uh, but I think that that's very much an insecure mindset. It's a mindset born of fear and you know, a lot of patterning around relationships that doesn't have probably lived experience of what it means to be in a healthy, secure relationship where that doesn't have to exist. It doesn't have to be like this endless tussle of me versus you um, because of course right of course if that's how we're doing relationships it feels threatening and we feel the need to defend and protect and blame um, because we do feel like it's a zero-sum game where either i win or you win but not both
0: yeah what are some of the ways that you have found with your clients or in your own life to help people get out of that zero-sum game Hmm.
1: i think that it starts with the mindset shift of really validating and going, it's very humbling to go like, oh, your need for space is no better or worse than my need for connection. Like they actually don't have to. It's the point at which we set them up as competing that that's where everything kind of comes unstuck. So it's like really validating the other person's needs as being as real and true as yours. And I think, For me, I've noticed a lot, and it's something that I still work on, it's easy to say, like, to kind of pay lip service to this idea of, like, validating someone's needs, but, like, secretly not actually seeing them as being equally valid to yours. like, yeah, yeah, okay, like, you need your space. Like, okay, fine, you need this. Um, But ultimately just trying to then steer things back to your preference and your way, um, I'm definitely guilty of that. So I think seeing it as, like, These are both completely true and real and valid. Um, And then going, okay, recognizing that this is important to you and this is important to me, how could we come up with a way of doing things that allows both of those to be on it? And it might not be a perfect solution and it's not like in every moment everyone's happy and everything's, you know, like, like everyone gets every need met all the time. Um, But I think when there's an overall culture of like, yeah, we both feel like both of our needs matter and where like I'm invested in my needs and your needs. Um, I think like having that approach and really being able to talk about it in a way that is collaborative rather than competitive makes a huge difference. And I think even it's less about like the specifics of the solution that you come up with. And it's just like the level of you know, how much your system settles when you start approaching it in that way, right? When you're like, oh, we can like lay down our weapons here and just talk to each other without defending and without being like, yeah, but you do this or you don't do that or but what about me? Uh, when we can kind of take some of that charge and that heat out, I think it becomes so much less about what what we're actually, you know, saying or coming up with or how we say it or using the perfect, like, conscious communication. It's just like are we on the same page around what we're trying to do here? And do we really both feel like we're being seen and cared for and, and understood? And I think those like undercurrents matter a lot more than how it looks. I always get people asking me like, how can I phrase this thing that I'm trying to say to my partner so that they will? It's like, well, you, you can't, I like think Sure. We could like try and craft like the perfect text message with the perfect combination of tones and this and that. But, it still doesn't guarantee that someone's going to show up in a particular way. And I think the more that you do it with the agenda of control and needing it to elicit a very specific outcome that aligns with your preferences, then like a lot of the time that's what gets transmitted. It's like the, the anxiety and, and the seeking yeah. to control. Uh, so I think sometimes when we can just like let all of that go and be like, okay, what are we trying to do here? We love each other. Um, how can we make this work, and how can we approach it as a team? I think that that's really liberating. It's a it's a real
0: paradigm shift. I think it's a huge relief. Like even in your body language, I could see, and I and I think about that too. Like what a yeah. relief! And I find that a lot of the resistance to doing that is actually because it's very triggering sometimes when somebody has a specific need. I know one of my triggers is I feel like the bad girl, like the one that, you know, oh, we have to leave on time. And like, I didn't, you know, I didn't leave on time. So I'm bad. And so that gets really triggered. So yeah. I also find that conflict in relationships is like a lot of times around the two people getting triggered at the same time, and even their triggers triggering the other person. And it just makes this loop So i'm just wondering if you've ever worked with that and what kinds of ways you've been able to navigate that
1: yeah i mean it's i think it's pretty universal right i'd like i'd love to meet a couple who doesn't navigate some version of that where like you know i get easily triggered by something that you say or do and then that sets you off because you're responding to my trigger and i think it happens at multiple levels it's like our nervous systems go first like we i always give the example of like if one of my dogs gets activated by something and like you know goes into some sort of sympathetic activation hears a noise does something like it's a split second before the other one follows right um, and i think we underestimate how much that is true for us as well how much like information we're absorbing from each other's body language and and all of that um so i think If one person gets activated, triggered by something and, you know, their body stiffens and their voice tone changes, it's like it's contagious. Uh, And so I think we're reacting to that and then we're reacting to the content of it as well. So we might be reacting to the words, reacting to, you know, the snide remark or whatever it is. Um, And I think as soon as we enter into that kind of threat lens, then it's really, really hard to give each other the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and it's like we can just get really kind of committed to our position, and it feels like the other person, like for us to to pattern interrupt and be like, okay, let's let's not do this. Like let's kind of calm down. It's like, what does that mean that I'm I'm conceding defeat? That because I think I'm right here, um, and if I'm the one to do that, then I'm letting you get away with the thing that I think that you're doing wrong. Uh, and I don't want to do that. So we can get really kind of committed to that. Um, and it feels like again, when we're in that winner, loser mindset, we feel like we're losing if we're the one to lead a repair or kind of steer the conversation back to safety and regulation. Um, so I think that it it definitely happens at multiple levels that we have this kind of ping pong of triggers and, and reactivity to each other. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm trying to think of an example in my own relationship. I'm sure there are many, um, you know, if my partner, for example, he, he's much more like irritable than I am. Like he kind of gets irritable, um, more easily than I do. And that's really triggering for me because I, you know, my family system, my role was like peacekeeper and mediator and like trying to make sure that everyone was like you know good and happy and it was always like a disturbance to me if that wasn't the case like if my sister was in you know a bad mood or my parents were arguing whatever it was like oh it's always ruins it when people are like not happy um and so that would then i'd kind of squirrel away at trying to restore the peace and so if my partner's like a bit tired or in a bad mood or something it lights all of those things up in me and so i go straight into like trying to make that go away like trying to fix or trying to smooth it over um and that I know for him is really you know kind of intrusive uh, and feels really invalidating because if he's just in his emotional experience it doesn't really have anything to do with me and I kind of come swooping in trying to make it stop um then that's really yeah it feels quite suffocating to him and and he's likely to push that away Uh, and then I'm likely to receive that pushing away as like oh there's something wrong or as some sort of disconnection or or emotional abandonment and so I think so often we'll be in a relationship with someone where our our wounds are our triggers like puzzle pieces and they just fit together so neatly. So fun!
0: <laughs> it's so much
1: fun. Like, it's remarkable, right? I know. It's like, isn't it so funny that my thing fits perfectly with your thing, and it bounces back to mine? We thing should just make puzzles thing. together, uh, right? Like
0: a... Instead. Of...
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah i I had someone on my podcast, Stan Tatkin, mm-hmm. who you might know, a few months ago, and he had a line which I thought was great, which is like the the bite
0: fits Mm. the wound
1: perfectly. Um, We choose a partner where like the bite fits the wound. So we tend to gravitate towards people who are really good at activating, like at pushing those buttons and those buttons are really old (laughs) um, and really well-worn pathways that like it doesn't take much for us to, you know, respond to something because it's not just right there and then that we're responding to. It's like, what does this remind me of? reminds me of this and this and this and this and this so i'm bringing the weight of so much of my past experience to this moment and creating a lot of meaning that is you know leading me to perceive this as very threatening even though it might be like we're running 5 minutes late to go meet friends for coffee it's like you are saying that you know i'm irresponsible and how dare you and you know he's going well you don't respect me and you don't seem to care about this and how do you think this look you know all of this meaning making when the actual like right here, right now thing is not anywhere near as big as it feels. Um, So I think it's a combination of like of personal work of going, okay, what am I making this mean? Like what am I bringing to this moment? Um, You know, am I reacting to something that isn't actually a right here, right now thing? Um, And so it's like that, that kind of is the personal piece And then the relational piece of like, okay, how can we come up with practical solutions and how can I understand your meaning making so that I can have more compassion for that rather than just going like, oh, you're blowing it out of proportion. Or like, why do you always do this? Why are you getting so defensive? It's not that big a deal. Uh, all of those things that we can do so easily, but we know that when we're on the receiving end of that, it feels really shitty, right? If someone says like, Oh, why are you getting upset? Like, I didn't even say that it's like, well, yeah, but I'm feeling it and it's real. Um, so it's this balancing act between like validating the self and getting curious and taking responsibility where we might be projecting and we might be filling in the blanks with a lot of stuff that's not actually there and kind of owning that, but also tending to whatever the, the very real pain is the emotion is that is alive in us and in them in those moments I
0: love that yeah and you know somatics is so helpful to me in that and just checking like what am I being reminded of it's not just in the mind but it's in the body my body's being reminded of this and that experience and it's like people just focus on the content so much as if the content matters, you know, we had this huge fight about water on the floor. And it wasn't really about water on the floor, right. And that's what people really need to remember, like, it's never about the water on the floor. So you mentioned somewhere in there about attachment. And I know that's like your big thing. And I want to ask you, what do you feel that people get wrong about attachment?
1: Mm, great question. Uh, a lot of things. I think that it's, it's always a tricky, uh, line for me to walk because as much as I, you know, love working in that space and I find a huge amount of value in it. And I know a, a lot of other people do too. I also see so much attachment, <laughs> pardon the pun, to labels and to, um, kind of roles and, Know, the number of questions I get you know what does it mean when my dismissive avoidant partner doesn't text me back for two hours after this happened it's like there's not a playbook here like it's not like there are just four types of people in the world and every person within those categories responds to every situation in the exact same way uh, and so I think that it's one of the main things that I try and encourage people to do is like yeah like use it to the extent that it's helpful but don't become fixated on boxes and labels and categories uh, in a way that is counterproductive or that leads you to maybe abandon like cultivating discernment over like what is actually like there's a whole person here and can I be curious about them rather than you know trying to go and find the answer in a book or on Instagram or in a podcast so that I don't have to engage with the messiness of the person in front of me. Uh, So I think that it's balancing those things. I think also, um, you know, for all of the talk of attachment styles, which again, I think can be really useful. I really like to frame it as, you know, essentially our attachment style is describing like what types of things cause me stress in relationship and how have I learned to manage that stress. So for people with, more anxious attachment patterns which is the bulk of the people i work with the types of things that cause me stress in relationship my kind of core wounds in relationship are things around abandonment and unworthiness and wanting to be chosen fearing disconnection not knowing how to feel safe when i'm not with someone and attached to them deriving my safety from outside of myself and the ways that i've learned to keep myself safe having regard to those fears are by you know trying to close the gap at all times and having a lot of activation if i perceive any sort of change in the temperature of the relationship any sort of disconnection uh, if i feel someone pulling away if i feel like there's any little bump in the road my system just goes into overdrive trying to fix it and trying to make sure that nothing happens to the relationship because the relationship is the only way i know how to feel safe and that's even if the relationship isn't very healthy isn't very functional it's just like that's the only way. My safety lives outside of myself and it lives in our connection. Um, So I think that, you know, you can apply that same kind of lens to the other attachment styles, but it's just like, okay, what types of things have I, through my past experience, learned are threatening, scary, unsafe, stressful in in relationships? And what are the ways that I've learned to keep myself safe having regard to that? I think it's a really like, kind of elegant and, and simple way of capturing what's going on at any point on the spectrum. Uh, and it allows us to then kind of see how universal it is, even though we might present with really different behaviors, we can go, Oh, you're doing the same thing as me. Like you're just scared of a different thing and you're just coming up with another, like you're just using whatever tools you have in your toolkit to try and create safety for yourself. So even though I might not relate to that or that thing that is really triggering for you isn't at all triggering for me, I can still go, oh, okay, like that's because you find this thing hard and you're just doing your best to try and create safety for yourself. Uh, so I think it allows us to really yeah, find more compassion and also depersonalize it a lot because I think, you know, going back to where we started, there is this tendency to be like, you're doing that to me. or like your behavior is about me. And of course I'm going to get defensive if I, perceive that to be true. If I see your withdrawal as being punishing me rather than your way of creating some sort of, you know, safe haven for yourself when you feel utterly overwhelmed and like totally frozen in fear, it starts to like make a lot more sense. And I think we can go, Oh, okay. Fair enough. I might not like it. And that's not the end of the road. We don't just give everyone a free pass to behave however they want, because they're scared of course. But I think when we can take the sting out by going, okay, you're trying to create safety for yourself the same way I am, then we can have a a much better shot at having conversations where we actually see each other. We actually understand the pain that we're each in and how we can support each other to feel safer.
0: I love that simple framework of seeing attachment. Can you do the same for the other three attachments as including including Mm. secure attachment?
1: Yeah, I mean I don't know that it works as well for secure attachment because I think that you know on the whole securely attached folks don't have a lot of you know they don't have much of a blueprint for fear and anxiety and stress around relationship that's you know lucky them that they had enough of a positive experience early in life that they generally trust in the safety of relationships. Um, they kind of know who they are and they can stay connected to that while also connecting with others. It's really like the essence of, of the both that we were talking about. It's like, oh, I can, I can know me and know you and I can be connected with myself, but also I feel really good being connected to you. Um, you know, I can advocate for my own needs, but absolutely see that yours are valid as well and want to find space for that. Um, so this is just like lovely spaciousness to secure attachment that isn't that like constriction and rigidity of you know being in fear all the time and of course um for those of us who weren't fortunate enough to start with that point um you know i think there can be a lot of shame or self-blame or you know what's wrong with me why do i suck at relationships and again it's just you're the product of your experiences and you've done a really incredible job at adapting to whatever circumstances you found yourself in um you know to kind of apply that lens to you know more dismissive avoidant um you'd see like the types of things that cause me stress in relationship would be a loss of self feeling smothered feeling controlled um, being seen too deeply and um, those sorts of things that feel like okay i need to keep a safe distance. And so the strategies might be not really opening up, keeping things somewhat casual, maybe resisting commitment, um, maybe resisting emotional depth in conversation or having that level of, you know, talking about things that do feel really vulnerable Um, because it's this sense of, for avoidant folks, it's like, I really want to be seen as successful. And I have a lot of fear of failure and being perceived as a failure. Um, because it tends to have originated um, in a a system where the child's emotional needs were kind of denied or neglected and so they turned off that part of themselves and instead focused on being good, being high-achieving, being, um, you know, like just kind of seeking praise and approval and connection via doing rather than connecting or being. You know, emotionally intimate, um, and so that pattern really carries on. And someone with those patterns is likely to continue those um, those behaviors into their romantic relationships. So they'll they'll generally be some resistance to closeness and vulnerability and anything that could feel like, you know, having too much connection or or enmeshment or anything like that. will Will usually get a big response. Um, pretty like rigid boundaries can be seen there as well. Uh, and then I think for the disorganized attachment or, or fearful avoidant, it's this you know combination of anxiety and avoidance that can be really chaotic on the inside. It's like, I fear, you know, I fear being controlled. I fear losing myself, but I also fear abandonment. Um, I fear being blamed i fear like being kind of victimized i fear being cornered um but i also fear letting people down so it's like this real push pull between the emotional connection but also the like really strong self-protection um whereas we kind of see it with the other two anxious attachment is more like i'm happy to leave myself over there and i'll just come to you and i'll do whatever i need to do um, to maintain the connection even if that means like just kind of burying myself, I'm happy to make that sacrifice for the dismissive avoidant. It's like, I'm not sacrificing any part of myself to sustain this relationship because that feels really unsafe. I need to like staunchly, fiercely defend my way and my autonomy and my rightness. My identity is separate from you. Um, and then, yeah, the that middle ground of the fearful avoidant can experience a really chaotic kind of tornado of both. Um, And it might be that you go more towards one in a particular relationship um, based on, you know, how it interfaces with your partner's attachment patterns, or you might experience both simultaneously in the moment. You know, you might feel intense like anger and wanting your partner to go away while also being really terrified that they'll go away. (laughs) Like, and that can be like simultaneous um, in that moment, which can, you know, understandably create a lot of turmoil and a lot of distress um, so a lot of people with that disorganized attachment struggle a lot it's thought to be you know the most challenging because it is kind of inconsistent it's internally inconsistent um, and so it can feel very much out of control for people who struggle
0: definitely with identify with that one and uh the last one and I- <laughs>
1: My partner is the same. I can share
0: that it's still (laughs) possible to to find love and to work through things. But yes, very challenging. And I usually start with this question, but we Mm. don't write in. I know you started out being a lawyer and now this is what you do. Can you share a little bit about that journey and how your own relationship challenges inspired Mm. what you do?
1: Mm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so yeah, I, I used to be a corporate lawyer, so like doing mergers and acquisitions takeovers, which is very, very, very far away from what I do now. Uh, I actually, I, I didn't hate being a lawyer. There are aspects of it that I quite liked, but I think it got to a point for me where it was like, this can't be my life. Like if, if I'm still sitting at this desk in like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, there's this like deep part of me that's just going to be so disappointed that I didn't do more than that. Uh, and so I think it was a real, it took some months to go from that knowing to making a plan to executing on the plan and quitting my job. Um, but I, yeah, I actually felt really, I was watching, you know, back, back when I was still a lawyer, I watched one of Brené Brown's things. And, um, when she does like the references, the man in the arena speech, I don't know if you're familiar with it. I'm sure a lot of people will be, um, but sort of talking about living, living your life in the arena and choosing courage over comfort and, and choosing to be brave with your life, uh, and everything that that brings with it, um, inevitable, you know, discomfort and and failure and scary things along the way. Um, But that's kind of what you sign up for. And there's a lot of upside potential there as well. Um, So I felt really called out by that in a very good way. And I think it was one of those things where once I had kind of landed in that place internally, I couldn't couldn't unsee it or unknow it. And I was like, yeah, I can't keep doing this. Um, I just don't care enough about it. I feel like there's a lot more available to me in this life. So uh, I started to like go through all of the things that I could do instead. And I kind of sat down and it was like, if, if there were no barriers and there were no logistical things, like what would be the thing that I would do? Um, and I landed on sex and relationship coaching at the time. I don't do so much of the sex part now, um, but that's what I landed on. And then I found a coaching certification. I enrolled in that and I quit my job and and that was that. Um, and it was like incredibly exciting and scary and there was a lot of trial and error, like starting a business from scratch and having no real sense of what I was doing. Um, but yeah, it's it's come a long way and it's been a pretty incredible journey. And I can very, very safely say that uh, I have no regrets and I have to pinch myself pretty regularly, um, that my life has gone from that to this. Um, so in terms of my own relationship, when I made that decision, I was in a different relationship. I think that was, uh, undeniably part of the whole trajectory. It was a really shitty relationship to be frank. Uh, like, you know, if you think of like the classic anxious avoidant dynamic, it was like that on steroids, um. And I think a part of me knew when I quit my job that like that would be the next step in, in the journey would be leaving that relationship at some point, but it was almost like I needed to um, prepare myself because I think that for me, you know, having more of an anxious attachment blueprint, like leaving a relationship is really hard, even if it's a shit relationship and you're not really happy. Um, it's, it's like, well, the known, it's like better the devil, you know, right? Like I'm in this relationship and I at least can like all of the tools in my toolkit kit that I've been developing my whole life have prepared me to be in a relationship with someone like this. right <laughs> uh, And so I think that there's there's a weird comfort in familiarity, even if that familiarity is not what you want and it's not, you know, in alignment with your needs or, or your desires. Um, there is something in, knowing what you're working with and um just kind of staying bit by bit and anyway so i eventually having um done that for about a year the coaching certification after i left my job i kind of worked up the courage for that that final piece which was leaving my relationship um and kind of stepping out off the ledge again into the unknown um and you know at the time it felt really scary even though it was like unequivocally the right thing to do and I knew that at the time as well there's always you know fear around the the new chapter and not knowing what that's going to look like um but yeah I started dating my current partner Joel not long after we were friends so we already knew each other um and now couple of years later we're having a baby so happy days <laughs> I mean I think that makes it sound really um like storybook and it certainly hasn't been um but yeah it's it it when I look back on it and and as I said it sounds a lot neater in that little recap than it has been in practice and there's definitely been challenging moments but it does really um serve as a testament to like doing the scary thing that you know is the thing you need to do um, because even though it's been hard along the way, it's like my life is vastly different um, and completely better in every way than it was, you know, three, four years ago. So, yeah, beautiful that's the story. Yeah, it's
0: so inspiring. <laughs> I think people really need to hear that. And from your story, what came up mm-hmm. for me is how do you know the difference between a challenge that you have in your relationship versus I need to leave.
1: Mm. Yeah. I get asked this a lot. Um, I don't know that there's a nice neat answer for that. I think that, uh, I think for me with that relationship, when I was honest about it, it was like, I don't actually want things to get better. Like I don't, really believe in that Uh, almost like if you started to do the things I'm asking for I still don't think that I would want to be here (laughs) um I just like it's kind of too far gone and there were so many things that weren't right about it that it just felt like it was it was never going to be right for me um and so I think that you know, I think it's hard and and people do ask me a lot, like, how do I know if it's something salvageable? And I think that uh, a lot of things, you know, most of the time things are salvageable provided that you want to do the work to salvage them and you're invested enough in the relationship and in each other that you are ready to do that work. And it's probably going to be hard, uncomfortable work. Um, So I, I think that it's, it's less about like is our particular relationship having regard to like the facts and circumstances irreparable uh it's more like how to where are our hearts at do we want to do that work um do we still really love and respect and admire each other and and maybe that's a no and um you might still want to do the work to get back to that place and and all of that's Okay, it's just getting honest, I think, about where you're at and what you really want and where the other person's at and what they want because I think if things feel really dire. Uh, you're going to need cooperation on both sides. You're going to need investment on both sides uh, in order to actually, you know, turn the ship around and, and start moving things in the direction that you want. There's going to need to be a lot of commitment and investment there to make that happen.
0: All right, you guys, from now on, my audio somehow dropped off, but we really didn't want to leave out Steph's interview because it's so brilliant. So just know that my audio dropped off, but she has so many amazing nuggets to share with you. So enjoy.
1: Well, to be honest, we were like at a crossroads for a while on whether to have kids or not, which is kind of wild now that I'm. 18 weeks pregnant um, but it was for him it was a really hard one and it was one that he had a lot of uncertainty about for a long time um you know a lot of fear and anxiety around what if i'm not a good parent or what if it means a loss of self loss of independence all of those things what if it you know destroys our relationship just like all of the worst case what ifs were very much like front and center for him whereas for me I always knew that I wanted to have kids um and sure like all of those fears that he voiced I can be like yeah fair enough that could happen but my bias was towards like we'll figure it out and it will be good overall whereas his bias is like everything will turn to shit and life will be terrible and I'll be trapped which you know probably reflects like that anxious avoidance split is like my assumption is like, as long as we're together, everything will be fine. Uh, Whereas is this a bit more like protection like, yeah, minded towards protecting the self and having fear around what that would mean. And so that was really hard for us for a long time because it was potentially a a deal breaker, right? Like if we didn't, uh, like it wasn't, he wasn't a definite no on having kids, but if he had been, that would have been the end of the road um and you know his uncertainty around it for a while I was sort of like okay well we've just started dating I'm not gonna you know kind of force your hand on making a decision on that two months into our relationship fair enough we can see how we go um but as time went on it was like you know I I don't know how I feel about continuing down this path with you and like we were even though we hadn't been together for that long, like we moved in together pretty quickly. So our relationship felt quite accelerated in many respects. Uh, And it was, there was a part of me that was like, is this just insane? Like, do we just fundamentally want different things? Um, And this is completely irrational for us to be like continuing to walk down this path together only to come to, you know, an impasse that we kind of knew was coming. So that was really scary and really hard. And we had a lot of, uh, kind of long, drawn-out emotional conversations about that. Um, and then we actually hadn't even really resolved that. Like we talked about it a lot and um, he'd kind of moved closer to wanting to kind of, I suppose, coming around to the idea. But even then I was like, I don't know that you coming around to the idea is like the level of buy-in that I want for someone to be having kids with, right? Um, you know, I don't want it to feel like I've coerced you into this. Um, but then I, I fell pregnant quite unexpectedly. Um, so it's kind of like the universe intervened and amazingly, you know, for both of us, it's just been like a really beautiful, exciting thing. And I think for Joel, it was like having the decision taken out of it meant like the anxiety was taken out of it. And it's like, okay, well, this is just what's happening. Um, yeah I think for him I don't know if you relate to this like having that anxiety around decision making like I have to be absolutely sure again it's not something I relate to um, but I know it's very real for him and for other folks with more avoidant patterns or or that disorganized pattern is like needing to eliminate risk and have certainty before acting Um, that that's kind of what happened in our case and and we're both now really very excited and it feels um, very sweet in our relationship it feels because I think that was this lingering thing that was potentially um, you know going to mark the end of our relationship having that cleared out has allowed us to feel so much more all in and like you know invested than ever before so that's been really beautiful well I I have a few online courses and programs. I'm kind of winding down the live stuff as I go into 2024 and um I transition into pre-birth and then postpartum. Um but people can find my podcast on attachment um and my website StephanieRig.com has um uh, lots of different classes and courses and things if you're wanting to check those out and go deeper but podcast is a good place to start
0: thank you so much for joining me and listening to this episode if you liked it please make sure to leave me a review so that more beautiful humans can get to this podcast and subscribe to the show and please do share it with a friend who would benefit And I always love to hear from all of you on Instagram. So visit me there at marina.y.t. I share really awesome content and would love to hear your comments about the episodes. Until next time, I love you so much and I appreciate you. Have the most beautiful day.